Thank you, Bill. Uh, good morning. If, uh, if you were expecting to hear the gospel preached from Jim Ferguson, you'll be woefully disappointed. I am not Jim. Uh, Jim uh, is one of those incredible, uh, godly men that uh, people write books about. Uh, I would much rather hear the gospel preached from his heart than from my own. Uh, he has a faith that is deep, a wisdom that is rich. Uh, Jim is uh, using one of his many excuses. <laughs> Jim never makes excuses. He's here. He's here every single worship service. Jim is, uh, uh, is sitting around in a hospital waiting on a pacemaker tomorrow. Uh, so do, do pray for Jim uh, that, uh, that that would all go smoothly and pray for his family as they, as they care for this dear, 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 dear man. In fact, let's, let's pray for him again right now before we open the word, can we? Father, we do thank you for Jim Ferguson. Thank you for the way he pastors and shepherds us so very well and has for decades. Father, we do pray that you would care for this dear saint Lord, that you would heal him, uh, strengthen him, and bring him back into our midst uh, very quickly. For we miss him, uh, we need him. And we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning we're in uh, the book of Acts. Uh, I am a, a poor stand-in, but um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it is to that gospel that we go this morning in the book of Acts in chapter 9. We're going to be reading in verses 32 to 43. It's the story of, um, of Aeneas and Tabitha, also known as Dorcas, and the compassion of Jesus Christ as seen in their lives. So join with me in the reading of God's word. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, and he knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's go to the Father. 
Lord, we come to you, the, the author of life and the author of compassion. Lord, thank you for the compassion that you showed to Aeneas and to Tabitha, to Peter, Lord, to us. Father, I pray that you would show even more compassion to us today by scraping away the scales that are on our eyes, the hard places that are on our hearts. Father, that you would do a work of surgery on our own souls, Lord. Lord, transform us this morning. Father, I pray that you would even take this one that would preach your word. Lord, that you would preach your gospel through this broken vessel. Father, um, be glorified in our midst. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This, this morning, uh, we've, we've had the privilege of hearing just a tiny bit of the story of the West Annapolis pop-up pantry. Uh, as Amy told it to us. I don't know what the count is, how many families have been served, how many different meals. Uh, does anybody know, is it 20,000, is it 30,000? So 633 just a couple of weeks ago on a Saturday, so you multiply that by a bunch of Saturdays. My friends, there have been tens of thousands of people that have been fed because somebody had compassion. Somebody had compassion. In Scripture, biblical compassion always acts. Biblical compassion always acts. There's always action that takes place. What we find in common with what's going on through the pop-up pantry and with what we see in the life of Aeneas and the new life of Tabitha, we, what we see in common is compassion. We also see conversion in all of these accounts. What we want to do today is look at these two accounts in Scripture, Aeneas and Tabitha, and we want to discover in characteristics of compassion that we find here. Now, the book of Acts, if you'll remember, is a... Um, it's descriptive, not prescriptive, it's descriptive, okay? So it's not prescribing truth, it is describing actions that have taken place as the truth goes forward. Still, as we look through the book of Acts, we see the character of God, we see the character of Jesus Christ as we look at his mission, we see the characteristics of his mission, that he came to seek and to save those that are lost, we see the unfolding of his great commission, we see characteristics of love and action, compassion in actions. We see characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ it is, as it is built and unfolded in the book of Acts, okay? So we can find and, and, uh, and live out characteristics that we see in the book of Acts. Two of those uh, stories, accounts here today, give us nine different characteristics uh, regarding compassion. So we want to look through those. Let me help, help you unpack those. The first one we see is that compassion is Christ in action. It is Christ in action. Compassion is Christ and compassion is Christ in action. You see it in the life of Aeneas and you see it in the life of Tabitha. Now you might say, well, what do you see Christ in here? What I see is Peter doing these things. Well, look again at the passage regarding Aeneas in verse 34. 
And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. So Aeneas had been paralyzed for eight years. He'd been bedridden, couldn't get out of bed. Peter comes in, or somebody brings Peter into the room. Uh, Peter prays and tells Aeneas, rise, get up, get on with it. Suck it up, buttercup, get on with life. Uh, in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody there knew that it wasn't about Peter. It wasn't even about Aeneas. Everybody in the, in the town turned to who? Did they turn to Aeneas? Did they turn to Peter? No, they turned to the Lord. So there was compassion. God had compassion on Aeneas in his paralyzed state, sent Peter, Peter prayed, get up and go on your way. Compassion acts. You see it again in, in the, the story related to Tabitha. Tabitha wasn't paralyzed. Tabitha had died, folks. She was dead. She was so dead that, um, that they, had, uh, they had washed her, okay, and prepared her for, for burial. She was washed and they had carried her back to an upper room and laid her in a bed there. She was dead, dead, dead. The disciples send to Lydda for Peter because they know he's there. Peter comes to Joppa. It's a short way away from Lydda. Uh, Peter goes to the upper room. He kneels and he prays. Who's he praying to? He's praying to the Father, right? He's praying to the Father. And then in response to what he hears from God as he's praying, he tells Tabitha, rise, get up, Tabitha. And the word he uses there is the same word that we find throughout the New Testament regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Arise, be resurrected. She's, she, she's up from the dead. She's no longer dead. She is truly, really alive. And what happens in that place? Do they give glory to Peter? Do they give glory to Tabitha? No. In verse 42, and it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in, in the Lord. Compassion is Christ in action. He's acting in both of these, these places. It's not just here that we see the compassion of Jesus Christ. Look at who else is there. You've got Peter there. God has been very compassionate towards Peter. Peter has known what betrayal is all about, not because he's been betrayed, although everybody's betrayed at some point in, in life, right? You've been betrayed at different points in life. I've been betrayed at different points in life. Let me give you something else that you need to remember. We've all betrayed others. Every single man, woman, and child in this room has betrayed somebody, even in small ways or large ways. Peter has betrayed Jesus Christ very visibly. Three times he denied Christ. Three times. And yet Christ had compassion on Peter and restored him. Peter knows what the compassion of Jesus Christ is all about. Christ has been active in his compassion with Peter. Or think of Zacchaeus in chapter 19 of Luke. Zacchaeus, you know the story, was that wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. You wanted me to sing that, but I'm not going to do that. We'll let Bill sing it in a little while. We don't want that either. So, so Zacchaeus was a wee little man. He climbed up in a tree. Here's where the compassion comes into play, though, the compassion of Jesus Christ. He calls Zacchaeus down, and then he invites himself to dinner in Zacchaeus' house. Why is that such a big deal? It's a big deal because no one else was going to have dinner with Zacchaeus that was a rabbi, that was a teacher, that was a religious person, that was an upstanding member of the community. Because Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector, not just a tax collector, but a chief tax collector. He was uh, not trusted by the Romans who were using him to collect taxes. 
He was hated by his fellow Jews because he was extracting taxes from them enough that he was becoming wealthy. He was like somebody performing shakedowns on the streets of Chicago for the mob. Zacchaeus was that kind of a guy. No one was going to go have dinner with Zacchaeus. But Jesus invites himself to Zacchaeus' house and has so much compassion on him that not only is he willing to sit with Zacchaeus in his misery and suffer with him, he is willing to sit with all the tax collectors and the sinners and give away himself. That's the ultimate compassion. Jesus gives away himself to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus had done nothing to deserve or earn Jesus Christ. That's the compassion of Christ. Compassion is Christ in action. Second, compassion is a part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. The two go together. Look at Tabitha. When the, when the writer of Acts, Luke, speaks of Tabitha, he calls her first a disciple, but then in the very next sentence says that she was full of good works and of charity. In other words, he's saying, remember, there are no wasted words in Scripture. He's saying the two, go to, they go together. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're full of good works and charity. They go together. They are inseparable. Why? Because a disciple is one that follows Jesus Christ. You might have heard disciple at some point uh, defined as a learner. Well, you know, I, I learned algebra. I learned geometry. I learned calculus. I promise you, I don't follow calculus. It's way back there in the back. I don't remember any of it. I've learned a lot of things in life about a lot of people. That doesn't mean I follow those individuals. To be a disciple of someone is to follow that individual. It's to follow them learn from them and become like them, to follow them. Jesus is a compassionate individual. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, full of mercy and grace. He came from the Father full of grace and truth. He came to seek and to save those that are lost. That's compassion. Tabitha is following Jesus Christ in his compassion. To be a disciple of Christ is to follow Christ. Look over with me in, in 2 Corinthians. In chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, it's just a few pages over. Beginning in verse 3. We're going to read verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, it's compassion, and God of all comfort, compassion, who comforts us in our affliction, compassion, so that, so, that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So it's not just that we have experienced compassion from God, that we have been comforted by God, but we're then to turn and give it to others. In verse 5, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. With the comfort that we receive from Christ, we turn around and give to others. Comfort isn't something that we just pour into our glass and we put a lid on it and we keep it for ourselves. That's not what Christ intends us to do with it. He intends it for us to take that comfort, to take his compassion, and to turn around and give it to others that they too might know Jesus Christ. Compassion is a part of being a disciple of Jesus. Third, compassion is more than a feeling. Compassion acts. Compassion always acts. I can't find the source for this definition, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Compassion literally means to suffer 
together, to suffer together. Among emotion researchers, it is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another suffering and feel motivated to relieve that suffering. It means to suffer together. Biblical compassion is rooted in the love of Jesus Christ. Let's move over to James in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving the things needed for the body, what good is that? So faith without so, faith, so also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. My friends, compassion, if it's not acting, is just a foolish folly. It's empathy maybe, but it's not, it's not biblical compassion. Biblical compassion acts. It's not just a feeling. The feeling, in fact, is extra and might not even exist. The type, this type of compassion in, in Scripture is wrapped up in the love of Jesus Christ to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when you love yourself, you take care of yourself, right? 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 Sure you do. You don't just have a warm, fuzzy feeling for yourself. You love yourself and take care of yourself. So to love your neighbor as yourself is to take care of your neighbor. Jesus gives us a great example of that when he tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. A neighbor takes care of their other neighbors. That's the love of Christ, the compassion of Jesus Christ in action. It's more than a feeling. Fourth, compassion involves broken people. Broken people. As we are comforted from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, why do we need comfort to begin with? We need comfort because we're broken people. We're sinners. You're a sinner, I'm a sinner. We're sinners, saved by the grace of God. Thankfully, Jesus looks at us and he sees us as saints. In fact, this passage even refers to us as saints, right? We read in Romans chapter 7 that we continue to sin. We know that. It's not a surprise to any of us. We're still in need of the compassion and comfort of Christ. The greatest compassion is conversion. We are broken people. If you're a believer, you're a broken person saved by the grace of God. We're broken in many ways, not just in sin, but in our own betrayal of the Lord and our own betrayal of other people and other people's own betrayal of us. So I pray that you've experienced the comfort of Jesus Christ in those areas as well. There's something about being broken, about being, having experienced the comfort of Christ that enables you to more sweetly, more thoroughly give away the comfort and kindness of Christ. We read in Romans 2 that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance, O Lord. It's the kindness of Christ that causes us to draw near. And when we remember the kindness that he has had for us, my friends, it's easier for us to give that same kindness and compassion to others that are around us. I think of Peter again in this passage. You see Peter, this one that has betrayed Jesus three times. And yet, Jesus is using him to comfort others. I think Peter's more eager to do that because he knows what the betrayal and brokenness looks like. Not just as one that's received it, but as one that's done it. 
Compassion is, is one beggar. It's one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. I think even more than that, compassion is one beggar giving bread to another beggar. Is there anyone here that's not a beggar? It's one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. It's one beggar giving bread to another beggar. Compassion engages, number five. Compassion engages. Compassion doesn't just stand off at a distance, as we saw in James chapter 2, and say, be warm and be, feel, be filled. Compassion engages. First thing compassion does when they engage is they see. That might mean that you have to travel outside of your home. Maybe you live in a very comfortable place and a very comfortable family, and you don't know what need is all about anymore. You haven't had a financial need in decades. You haven't lacked for a meal in decades. You haven't been cold in decades unless you stepped outside this morning. You, you, you don't know what it is to be in need. So you might have to travel outside of your comfort zone to be engaged. But in, to engage means that you see. You see beyond yourself. You see with eyes of Christ. So I encourage you to see with eyes of Christ. What we see with Jesus as he walks through the streets of Jerusalem and he sees a blind beggar or he sees a man that's trying to get down into the pool to be healed and have the water stirred again. We see Jesus that stops and he sees. And he engages with those individuals. He engages with Matthew, a tax collector, when he sees him. He engages with Zacchaeus when he sees Zacchaeus up in a tree. He could have walked on by and no one would have faulted him a bit. But that's not what compassion does. He sees. My friends, pray that the Lord will open your eyes to see the needs for compassion. Compassion, when it engages, doesn't just see then, but because we saw in number three that compassion acts, to engage in compassion means that we engage our resources. What are your resources? Time, talent, and treasures. Time, talent, and treasures. So if, remember we said the definition of compassion is to suffer together? It means that you sit with the one that is in need of compassion. <clears throat> with your time. When I was a new believer uh, in college, a friend of mine, Ben, said, hey, what are you doing? I said, I'm not doing much right now, Ben. He knew that already, right? But it was just a prelude to what he was fixing to ask me to do. He said, well, come on with me. I want you to go with me. And so, you know, every the adventurous person, I said, okay, let's go. And we climbed into Ben's truck, and we went and picked up somebody else, Rick, and the three of us went to a part of Opelika, Alabama, that at that time they called Little Vietnam because the police wouldn't go there. It was a red dirt road uh, in the, on the edge of the city that was, um, that was, uh, it was home to, um, to a gang, uh, to a lot of drug action, and a whole lot of violence. We pulled up in front of a house um, that could hardly be called a house. It wouldn't have filled up half of this platform behind me. It was a wooden plank house with a wooden plank floor the door hardly closed at all. The steps were rickety getting up into it. There were holes in the floor, and inside was a dad and a mom and about a, a three-year-old little girl. And we sat in the only piece of furniture in the house, which was a bed, one room, 
And we took care of the little girl's foot because she had been bitten by a rat that came in in the middle of the night. And I watched as Ben held the little girl in his, hand, in, in his lap and he wrapped up um, her foot. We didn't stop there. Ben, ben began to raise money, um, to raise people that will help build, and they built this family a house. And of course, the guy helped in the building of it, but they built this family a house, and they gave it to him free. So he didn't have to live there anymore. Compassion acts. That took time, it took talent, and it took a lot of the resources that Ben had. But there's a dad and a mom and a little girl that had a safe place to live because compassion acts. It engaged in the life of that family and all the messiness of their past and their past drug addiction and everything else that had gone on in their world. It engaged. This is number six, compassion shepherds. Think about a shepherd for a moment, if you will. Have you ever seen a picture of a shepherd where the shepherd is staying in his warm little cabin and he's looking out the window at his sheep as they're being devoured by wolves? Never. That would make a horrible story, wouldn't it? Because it's not true. That's not what a shepherd does. A shepherd goes to where the sheep are and he shepherds the sheep. Well, one of the greatest um, pictures we have of Jesus Christ is as a shepherd. In, in, in John chapter 10, in, in 1 Peter, we see Jesus as the, the good shepherd. So in a, with compassion, the shepherd goes to where the sheep are, and he protects them from the wolves, and he makes sure they have the food that is good for them. He, he takes care of their fur and removes the burrs from their fur. He keeps them from the holes in the ground running off the cliffs. A shepherd cares for his or her sheep. At EP, we're going to be doing a lot, a lot greater, more thorough job of shepherding the sheep at EP. Okay. Starting March 1, you'll begin to hear from men and women, from elders, a few deacons, and from some women that we have uh, called to be uh, shepherdesses and part of a, a shepherding team. And you'll begin to be shepherded in a new and deeper way starting March 1. Listen, it's not a program. It's not a program. It's not an initiative. It's a way of life. It's a way of life for the church of Jesus Christ that her leaders will shepherd the sheep. So because that's our calling to shepherd the sheep, we're going to do that as a way of life at EP. If we really believe that God has called us to seek the renewal of Annapolis as we ourselves are being renewed by the gospel, then we will become even more and more a disciple-making church that shepherds the sheep well. It's a work in progress, to be sure, because we're works in progress. But we're going to do everything we can by the grace of God to make that a reality. And I ask you to pray towards that end. Number seven, compassion is risky. It is so risky. Think about Peter. He's already been arrested once. He's seen Jesus killed. He's seen Stephen killed. And he knows that continuing to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ is risky. It could mean more prison time. It could mean death. And eventually, eventually it will for him, right? It's risky. Let me give you three ways it's risky. One, it's risky because it's messy. 
If you're going to deal in compassion with someone, you're going to deal with their mess. I mean, Peter walked into the mess of a paralyzed man's life. He walked into the mess of a deceased woman's life. And he engaged with them. That That can be messy. If you begin to engage in someone's pain with compassion, entering into their story, then it can be a messy in an emotional way, maybe even messy in a financial way. It's okay. Jesus has done that with you and for me, with me, right? He's entered into our mess, and he calls us to enter into the mess of others. That can be risky because when we do that, we're risking that we might be betrayed or hurt. That's okay. It can be risky because it can be uncomfortable. I remember uh, standing in the streets of Uganda, in Kokonjero, Uganda, And a little girl walked up to me. I think she was about five or six, although she was much smaller than that. She walked up to me, and her clothes were in tatters. Uh, She was um, she was just skin and bones, literally. Um, Her eyes were running, and her nose was running, and she had scabs on her head. But she she had a smile that would light up the sky. And she gazed up at me with this look of longing. And you might think it would be uncomfortable to pick that little girl up, but it was the most blessed thing that I got to do that day. As the Lord blessed me and let me pick that little one up. She never said a word. She never said a word as I just scooped her up and I cradled her in my arms and she laid her head on my shoulder and she went to sleep. Would that be uncomfortable to you? I promise you, if you ever engage in something like that, you will never, ever, ever forget it or get over the blessing of that. I can still feel her head on my shoulder. Compassion could get messy and it could get uncomfortable for you. But my friends, that's where Jesus is waiting on you. It could be messy, it could be uncomfortable, it could be risky because it might not be safe. (laughs) Jesus hasn't called us to safety. He's called us to him, and he's not safe. He's good, but he's not safe. You've got life eternal. Who cares if it's safe here on earth? Number eight, compassion meets a need. Compassion gives people what they do not have. That's what you'll see again and again and again once you engage in the compassion of the pop-up pantry that's out here. You will see Jesus Christ meeting the needs of people, meeting needs that they don't have. Needs that were met in Lydda and Joppa included somebody that wasn't able to walk and included somebody that wasn't able to live. It included meeting the needs of those that were sad as, and, and burned in and, and, and despair is their, their dear friend Tabitha Dorcas had died. Compassion meets a need. It gives people what they don't have. Maybe what they don't have is life. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's clothing. Maybe it's food. Uh, eternal life. Kindness. I remember the day that a guy named John walked up to me on the streets when I was in college and, and he called me by name and I didn't know him. And he said, hey, um, you don't know me, but I was praying for you 
And the Lord led me to give you this. And he, he gave me uh, a check for $100. He didn't know me. He had no idea that I was broke. I mean, like, dirt broke. Um, how kind is that? That's compassion. Uh, compassion meets a need. It gives people what they don't have. To the widow, compassion means that Jesus becomes a husband. To the orphan, he becomes a father. To the oppressed, he becomes a hiding place. To the alien in the land, he becomes a home. To the guilty, he becomes grace. To the lonely, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. To the burdened, he becomes the peace that passes all understanding. To the one in despair, he becomes joy. Finally, number nine, compassion. Compassion points to Jesus Christ and to conversion. Compassion points to Jesus Christ and to conversion. What we see in both of these passages is that it ends with conversion. All the residents in Lydda and Sharon saw him and they turned to the Lord. And in verse 42, it became known throughout all Joppa and many believed in the Lord. My friends, that's the greatest compassion. In Scripture, we, when, we're, 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 when we're preaching, we speak of the indicative and the imperative, what it indicates and what it commands. The one thing this indicates to us is that we're in need of conversion. We're in need of salvation. The imperative is that we comfort one another with the comfort that we receive from Christ. So we then give away Jesus Christ. We take people to Jesus, and we give them Jesus Christ. Will you pray with me? Father, we are in desperate need of Jesus. And I pray that you'll help us in that. Father, if there's anyone here this morning that has not met you, I pray that that changes even today. That they would know in reality compassion for the greatest need that they have. That is the need for Jesus, the need for conversion, for salvation. Father, for, for our other needs, some of us are in pain, physical pain, emotional pain. Pain of betrayal, pain of fear. Lord, I pray that you would have compassion on us, that you would meet our needs. Lord, I pray that you would move on us as individuals and as a church to become uncomfortable. To deliver the gospel of Jesus Christ through compassion, through meeting the needs of people in our community, our county, and our state. With not just the gospel of Jesus, but with the resources that you've given to us. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, we pray. Amen.